All right. Would you bow your head with me tonight and let's open our time in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, it strikes us tonight that this is a significant moment in your kingdom work here as far as we are responsible for it in this uh, small church, yet, Lord, with important and eternal duties, Lord Jesus, duties with eternal consequences that you've called us unto. Lord, so we humbly bow our knee and our hearts before you today and ask for your help. We pray that you would be here, that your spirit would inhabit every moment of these formative times and foundational plans, Lord Jesus, for us to have a greater understanding of the scriptures, Lord, and what you have called us to do to be as a church, that we might shine and that we might grow, Lord, bringing the gospel into hearts and lives, discipling all nations, Lord, ultimately, Lord, we want to be faithful to the Great Commission. So I pray tonight as we talk about the practical and heart-level commitments along these lines, that you would speak to us and use this time, Lord, to grow us in love for one another, most of all in love for Christ and diligent service to the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, you should have uh, two handouts. Um, Aaron and Rachel are about two minutes away, so maybe uh, someone could get them a copy of two handouts when they come. Did everyone, everyone get a copy of Church Covenant Vows and Cardinal Doctrines, at least to share between the two of you as a couple? Oh, not the vows one. Here we go. Okay, so these two, uh, these two handouts will be the subjects of consideration. One, I'll just, I'll just uh, introduce the basic doctrines handout to you briefly, and then you can study that through the week, and that might come up in our class next week a little bit. And what this is, the basic doctrines of the Christian faith, is just basically 10 major points of essential truths of Christianity. And these, you'll see there's references there, 1, 1, 2, 3, 6, 2. That's reference to the London Baptist Confession, 1689. And that's a statement of faith that is a rough reference point for us at this point. But you'll recognize that these statements are really summaries of Scripture on, again, the major points. So I'll just read through them briefly, the top, uh, uh, just the headings, uh, the Word of God, what is the authority and truth for us, uh, the triune God, who is God Himself, God in three persons, the sin nature of man, why we need a Savior, the redemptive work of Christ, what is salvation in Jesus Christ and His work on Calvary, justification and sanctification, how that work is applied in our heart and the ongoing effects, substitutionary atonement, the nature of Jesus' work on the cross, repentance, what must we do to be saved, the law of God, which is the standard of righteousness required that shows us our sin, and also a vision for following God faithfully after we come to Christ, resurrection, we will all be bodily raised from the dead, the righteous unto eternal life, the wicked unto judgment, and then final judgment dovetails with that, that is Christ's authority and final word for all of history and everyone who's ever lived. So those are the basic doctrines of the Christian faith, and those in your interviews, in our interviews that we will have, especially into the future, you know, we're a church that knows each other well generally at this point, but into the future, that handout will be very important as prospective members seek to join Providence to see if they are truly a member of Christ's church. And so a basic understanding, not that you have to articulate off the top of your head by memory those 10 points, but that's just kind of a framework to understand what is Christianity? Therefore, what does it mean to be truly a part of the church? 
This morning, I'd like to focus our attention on your second handout, which is Church Covenant Vows. What I've done is I took a look, I made good use of the internet, and I found some documents um, that have been used to uh, summarize church commitments, uh, vows, uh, uh, or uh, covenant promises, basically, um, that represent what the church ought to be and the promises that we make to one another when we bind together as a local church. And some, usually most of those are pretty lengthy, page or page and a half. What I tried to do is I tried to isolate uh, some major categories, and then I reduced them to, to ten phrases. And what these phrases meant to convey is uh, ten categories of commitment to be faithful in a local church. And you can see in italics the theme of each one. First is our profession of faith. Second is our commitment to, uh, as individuals to the Lord. Thirdly is our commitment to families and other institutions. Fourthly, our commitment to each other as a church. Five, our commitment to the assembly of the church. Six, our commitment to holiness, to live uprightly before the world. Uh, seven, our commitment to share the faith. That would be ministry. Uh, eight, discipline. Uh, what does it mean uh, to be in discipline in the local church and under authority? Nine, continuity. Um, provisions, should there be a change in our living situation or proximity? And then finally, closing with a benediction. So the idea with these church covenant vows is each time someone is inducted as a member of Providence in the future, we can say these together uh, as a church body. And it would be a great refresher to remind us of our commitment to each other and to recognize those who are joining in committing. That's kind of the idea. For the initial wave or the founding members, uh, as you all are, well, the idea is hopefully in a service in the near future, we'll kind of recite these vows together. And um, so let's look at them briefly today. What I'm going to do is just read the uh, scripture proofs. So the, the most important foundational basis for these statements comes from the scripture themselves. And what I've attempted to do is summarize um, the scriptures that precede them. So I'm just going to read through those scriptures and then read through the vows quickly. And then I'd like to open it up for a little discussion on practical ways. If you have a question on clarity, certainly feel that. Um, but practical ways that we can help uh, each other and we can do a better job fulfilling our commitment as a local church. So that's kind of the idea, the framework for tonight. So let me go through these. First of all, our profession of faith. The statement begins at, at the top of your page there under number one, having been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and eager to glorify the Lord and maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace as God works in us, we covenant. And then the following. So that's kind of a, a profession of state or uh, of faith or a prologue statement. And I get the, uh, the summary or that language summary from the following text. And I'll just read them quickly for you. Luke 24, 45 through 47. Then Jesus, or he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name 
to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and when you once walked, walking or following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Um, and then uh, finally, Philippians 2. This is a reference to God working in us. Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The second category of commitment is individuals to the Lord, our relationship with the Lord. And I've chosen 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 for a proof text there, verses 12 and 13. Here we have, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this. And when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Those, uh, let's see, I'll, I'll read a few more verses. For you, brothers, became in imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. Well, I was going a little farther than I intended. That's all right. All scriptures, God breathed and profitable. profitable. <laughs> Second uh, Timothy three fourteen through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and, from, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for, oh, here it is, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The second section, if I've done any of your weddings through the years, you'll recognize it. Ephesians chapter 5. And this category is families. Um, under individual, I, I forgot to read our, our um, covenant or our, our vow phrase, to study the word and seek the Lord faithfully. So we covenant to study the word and seek the Lord faithfully. And I just read the uh, text for that. Secondly, we covenant to keep our vows and to bring up those in our charge in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This passage comes from Ephesians 5. We find in verse 21, the admonition to submit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that is just a great phrase to um, summarize our call as a church. And then it goes on um, to talk about the relationships that are subsumed in our Christian duty. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is, his, and is it, uh, himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to your husbands. And goes on there, that middle section, to explain more about marriage relationships. Let's pick up on 6.1. It goes on then to, dis, to uh, detail relationships of children to parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It give, even goes beyond that uh, to uh, relationships outside the immediate family and the church. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not a, by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So there you get a sense that we are called to keep our vows and to bring up those. And vows primarily uh, would be our family relationships and, of course, very importantly, our marriage covenant vows, but also to bring up those in our charge, namely our children and those who are called to disciple in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Category four, the church. Uh, we covenant to love one another through mutual care, prayer, and encouragement. There, um, you have to decide which text not to read. There are so many. One of my favorites is Romans 15.1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Um, Hebrews 3.13 was the next one that I selected. In Hebrews, of course, you'll recognize this. We've covered this in recent weeks. But exhort one another daily, as long as it, is, as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another... <clears throat> forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Isn't that beautiful? It's awesome. Uh, Philipp Philippians 2, 3-4, similar instructions. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So that covers 
a few references related to love for one another through mutual care, prayer, and encouragement. As God works in us, we covenant number five, to worship regularly together as His church. In Acts chapter 2, after repentance and faith visited some of the first waves of believers, we have in verse 41 a testimony of their further commitment of faith. It says, So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Notice 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, Secondly, Colossians 3. Again, uh, details for us some of the importance and also the content of our meeting together as the church. Colossians chapter 3, 15 and 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with, thanks, uh, with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So that brings us to number six. As God works in us, we covenant to live uprightly before the Lord and others. This is um, a phrase that highlights the importance of living holy lives, lives in up, uh, in right standing uprightly before the Lord, and as we embrace our sanctification, taking seriously our witness and testimony to the world in that regard. Um, so living uprightly before the Lord and others is underscored by verses such as this, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, both books uh, to Corinth contain so much along these lines. 1 Corinthians 6, for instance, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I love this verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So those are a couple of references. Again, I have another one in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 20 and 21. In this passage, it says, For I fear, and this is Paul's concern for the church of Corinth, I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, that you may find, and you may find me not as you wish. And then let me pause and interject. In the past, in preaching on this passage, I've mentioned that these two lists, one, one is summarized, could be summarized as sins of schism, And the second could be summarized as sins of indulgence. And so, uh, looking outwardly, there's a tendency in our flesh for for unnecessary divisions to to come upon us, for us to entertain. 
But then turning inwardly, there's a tendency for us just to simply walk in the flesh and serve self. And so you see these two categories as Paul lists examples. He says, um, perhaps I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as, you not as I wish, that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may, be, may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many uh, of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. So those are some scriptures that remind us to live uprightly before the Lord and others. Uh, number seven, as God works in us, we covenant to sacrificially serve, defend, that would be the faith or the Lord, His glory, to share, that would be the gospel, and to give to the kingdom of God, that would be to sacrificially give of means as He provides financially, but not necessarily if, you know, as the Lord gives, but certainly our service to Him. And uh, again, there's so many uh, texts to touch on. Let's just uh, highlight a few. I won't read all of this Romans 12 passage, but it's amazing. It's the passage in verse 1, which begins, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and by the test, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has given. And then here we have one of these great summary texts of what it means to be as a church. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the, uh, all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and have individually and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. And then you have that list of gifts. 1 Peter 3 First uh, Peter 3, verses 14 through 16. I can find it here. To sacrificially serve, defend, share, and give to the kingdom of God. First Peter 3, 14 through 16. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope within. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And so that's an example of our duty to defend the faith, to share our faith and also to, um, to not to, in such a way so as not to compromise, but to stand for Christ and for His name's sake. Matthew 28, uh, 20, uh, 20 through 28, I got that reversed there in your notes, but that, of course, is the uh, Great Commission passage. The last instructions of Christ for the church are summarized in the end of Matthew, teaching them, or let me back up. Um, and Jesus came and said to them in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then the last text in this section is in 2 Corinthians 9. verses uh, 6 through 14. This has to do with sacrificial giving. Uh, Paul says, The point is this, Whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, as God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that uh, having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, I love this, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God, thanksgivings to God, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God. Because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel. And that's a great phrase, submission flowing from your confession of the gospel, of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That brings us to category eight. As God works in us, we covenant to submit to the instruction and discipline of the Word of God under qualified eldership. In uh, Hebrews 13, this is the, the passage, one of those passages as Paul, or as the author of Hebrews, sums up his instructions to the church to be mindful of. In conclusion, among his last words, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 is another one of those passages. It says, that instructs us on what if those are caught, you know, there is sin amongst us or uh, systemic public long-standing issues. What, how do we handle them? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The uh, final uh, one is in First uh, Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 15. And this is um, instructions for qualifications. And this is important for you to remember as a church because when you affirm or vote on or, uh, or nominate elders in the future, these are the very criteria in the scriptures. Timothy and Titus are great for this that Paul instructs that we ought to keep in mind. But understand this, that in the last days, there will uh, come times of difficulty. I think um, I'm in 2 Timothy. I apologize. 1 Timothy 3. Uh, the, the saying is trustworthy. This, uh, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, 
sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snares of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. As God works in us, we covenant to number nine, continuity, just one reference for this. Should we move from this place to join a church, uh, we, com we commit to, if we move from this place to join a church where we can uphold the spirit of this covenant as God provides. And in Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25, we have this admonition along these lines, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then finally, in our church covenant commitments, it's a benediction. This is 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the uh, scripture verbatim, and, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.